So we continue our series this morning looking at King David. Uh, And we're looking this morning at this wonderful prophecy that was made to King David through the lips of the prophet Nathan, but which of course is so overflowing with wonderful signposts pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you go back with me please to page 311 as we um, look at this wonderful prophecy, we can see that actually from verse 18, the second half of the reading that Trevor read to us, um, it says that King David went and sat before the Lord. So he's gone into the tabernacle and he's sitting in God's presence and he's overwhelmed by the beauty, the glory, the power of what he's just heard. And we're going to be going through that in just a moment. But let's look at David's reaction. He says, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what's my family that you've brought me thus far? And as if that weren't enough, in other words, as if it wasn't enough, all the stuff you've already done for me, Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. David could see that God had promised a glorious future for his house and line. And little did David know quite how glorious that future was going to be. But we see some of the things promised to David as we go back to the beginning of our reading in the second half of verse 11. But before we do that, let's just kind of rewind a little bit, fill in the gaps, because last time, uh, if you were with us last time, we were thinking about the fact that uh, at the beginning of the second book of Samuel, the kingdom was transferred from Saul to David. And this is where the little headings in our Bible help us so much. Because after that, the next heading is uh, after David is anointed king over Judah. We have war between the houses of David and Saul. Uh, The house of Saul didn't go go out quietly. Uh, Ishbosheth wanted to carry on fighting David for the throne of God's kingdom. Then the next heading, Abner goes over to David. So Abner was the great general of Ishbosheth and the armies of Saul. And he defected and went over to David's side. Next, Joab murders Abner. The long-standing issue between these two great warrior houses was um, came to uh, a point when Joab killed Abner. Then Ishbosheth, this pretender to the throne of the line of Saul, was killed. But David didn't like that. He had the blokes killed who did it. Then David becomes king over Israel. Big high point when David is actually anointed king. And then after that, he conquers Jerusalem and makes it his uh, capital. He finally defeats the Philistines in the next heading. And then the next heading, the ark was brought to Jerusalem. This is actually the high point. David becoming king is not the high point. Jerusalem being conquered was not the high point. The high point was the fact that God's presence was brought into Mount Zion, into Jerusalem. And David has this this wonderful bit there where David is celebrating before the Lord, crazily dancing before the Lord, really kind of losing all dignity in, in how he's just overwhelmed with joy at the ark coming in. And his wife, Michal, doesn't like it, but he says, tough. (laughs) This is how I'm going to celebrate before the Lord. And so we then get God's promise to David, which we're thinking about today, through the mouth of of Nathan the prophet. And first of all, he says, um, the first promise is a promise to establish. That word comes up several times. I'm going to establish a house for you. In other words, establish your lineage. And of course, it applies, first of all, to David and his immediate offspring, to Solomon. But there are bits here uh, which we know can't fully apply to Solomon, as we'll see. And that's why it was so important that David was, uh, sorry, that Jesus was descended from David, as we heard in our reading from the Gospel. 
that Joseph, um, in, in the other gospel, Mary, but whichever parent it was, there was a descendancy there from King David. And it's important because the, then these promises apply not just to David, not just to Solomon, but ultimately to Jesus. And this promise to establish, to make stable is what that means, isn't it? To make sure that it never falls apart, this house, this line, this kingdom. And verse 13, if we look at it, he, this descendant that Nathan is talking about, partly Solomon, is the one who will build a house for my name. Now, of course, that is fulfilled in Solomon. As we read through the Bible from here on, Solomon's the one who builds the great temple, the great house for God. God had been sojourning, if you like, in a tent all the way through the wilderness. The tabernacle was like a temporary dwelling. Finally, a house is built for the presence of God. But we know this is ultimately, of course, fulfilled in Jesus. He is the one who will build a house for the name and presence of God and will be established forever. Jesus builds the church, the house of God, through his kingdom and through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And I always like to dwell on that amazing truth that the same incredible presence that David sat before in the tabernacle, the amazing presence that indwelt the temple of Solomon is the same presence of God that dwells in us by the Holy Spirit as we become the stones of the temple of God in the New Testament church. And then verse 14. God says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. Talking about David and his descendants, but also ultimately about Jesus. And that reminds me of uh, Psalm 2, those wonderful words. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Speaking of the Messiah. The Messiah was always to be God's son. And of course, that's ultimately fulfilled in the son of God, Jesus Christ. God says, I will establish this kingdom. I will make it so stable that it will never fall. And of course, that's partly fulfilled in Solomon. But Solomon messes up, as do his um, descendants after him. And the house of Israel, the house of Judah, are taken into exile. So there's a way in which this can't completely mean the house of David, which falls to bits eventually because of their own sin. But of course it points forward towards Jesus, whose house, whose throne, whose kingdom is fully established by God, and of, who, of which we are members. And it will never be destroyed. It's a wonderful comfort to us that we are members of a kingdom that will be established forever. When so much around us is temporary and falls apart, whether it's relationships, whether it's a job, whether it's health, whether it's the kingdoms of the world that we are part of, they will fall apart eventually. But God's kingdom is fully established. Jesus' rule will never fall apart. And that is a great comfort for us in a world in which so much does fall to bits. So there's the promise, first of all, to establish. Secondly, there's the promise to punish. Now that doesn't fill our hearts with joy, probably, when we hear that word. But the very interesting, verse um, 14 here, the second half of it, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. Now, of course, this means in a temporary sense, the fact that God will discipline or attempt to discipline the sons of David, his descendants, his, his son, his grandchildren. But, of course, it points forward to a greater reality. It ultimately points to Jesus. And here we're reminded of those wonderful words from Psalm, from Isaiah 53. 
that he was punished for our iniquities. The Lord laid on him that punishment. This points forward to when Jesus is punished for our sake. And we can read the, this uh, second half of verse 14 with slightly different words. When we do wrong, or when God can say to you, when you do wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. That is the promise of the gospel. When you do wrong, I will punish Jesus, is what God says. And that's a wonderful promise for us. That actually when we do wrong, when we sin, the punishment will not be inflicted on us, but will be inflicted on Jesus. And this uh, is called, in posh theological language, the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus. And it's not very popular in many ways, but that God is kind of, people have called it cosmic child abuse, that God would punish his son innocently for something that somebody else had done. But whether you like it or not, it is very, very clearly what the Bible taught and what Jesus believed about his own death. What did he say about himself? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when you read through that wonderful chapter, Isaiah 53, you see there's no other way of understanding Jesus' death on the cross for us, that he took upon himself our iniquities. Because the sin that we commit is liable to God's judgment and punishment, because we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. We have not thanked him and glorified him as we should. And as the calling upon us is infinitely good, so the punishment is infinitely bad. And yet, the gospel says that when you do wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men and with floggings inflicted by men. This is the love of God that he sent his son to die for us, to take upon himself our own wrongdoing. And that's why we have such great reason to sing, hallelujah, sing to Jesus. We'd have no reason to sing to him and to glorify him and to be thankful to him if he had not done this. But because he has died for us, the innocent for the guilty, we have great reason to sing praise to his name forevermore. So a wonderful promise here, not just to establish the house of the descendants of David, but to punish, not us, but to punish Jesus, the descendant of David in our place. And then thirdly, there is the promise of love in verse 15. My love will never be taken away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. So God's love will never be taken away from the house of David. And we hear that uh, repeated in the Bible as bad things are done by the descendants of David. Yet, says God, I will bless Israel, I will bless Judah for the sake of David. That's not just because um, of good things David did, it's because of God's promise. He's promised, my love I will never take away from your house, David. That's why it's so important, again, that Jesus comes from the Judean line. So that for David's sake, Jesus should also be blessed. This is ultimately about Jesus, of course. But we believe that we, by the Holy Spirit, are united to Jesus. There's a wonderful way in which we share in everything that is applied to Jesus. We are his brothers and sisters by adoption into his family. And so as we stand before the throne with Jesus, the throne of God, the promises made to him can also be applied to us. Because of the love that the Father has for the Son of David, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, we hear these words spoken to us. My love will be never taken away from you. For the sake of the Lord Jesus, to whom we are united, we can be sure that God's love will never be taken away from us. And there will be times in our Christian life for all of us when we doubt that, 
When we've messed up so much, we feel like God's love has been taken away from us. We feel like we've so messed up this time, we can't still be loved by God, surely. And yet we need to remind ourselves this wonderful promise. My love will never be taken away from you for the sake of my son, Jesus Christ. God may discipline us, yes. He may discipline us for our good to make us holy. But he will never, ever take away his love from us. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We can be sure that God loves us because he fulfilled all these wonderful promises to David in Jesus. And we are also beneficiaries of it. It's wonderful to read the Old Testament, to see these amazing promises made and fulfilled. It shows us that the Bible is true. It's incredible. But it's not just an academic venture where we think, isn't that interesting? It applies so existentially to us because we are part of this established kingdom. We are those who benefit from the punishment that Jesus took for us. And we are those who will never have God's love taken away from us. And so let's pray now that God would apply these things to our hearts and cause us to rejoice in them. Heavenly Father, you promised to Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him and his offspring. Lord, it gladdens our hearts to see throughout the Bible how you made that happen, how you raised up your great King David. And although he made many mistakes, he was a man after your own heart, and you made great promises to him, which were ultimately fulfilled in his great, 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 great grandson, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that this is not just something that is uh, religious or theological, but applies to our very lives. That as his brothers and sisters, we share in the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, please, cause our hearts to rejoice in that this morning. That as we go out from this church, our faces will be shining with your presence and your joy, as we know that these promises made to Jesus are so applicable to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.